Hi, everybody. This is your cousin, Brucey, and you are listening to TV Confidential. And now, not confidential, here's Cousin Ed. Ed Robertson with a reminder that Evan Anthony will join us later on in the hour. We'll be able to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, on the line with us right now is our friend Ron Bacon. Ron spent 35 years in network television, working behind the scenes in many capacities in just about every form of television possible, mostly with the ABC television network, although he did work briefly for NBC early in his career and for the Fox television network late in his career. Ron mostly worked behind the scenes of unscripted television. He did, however, work on a few scripted shows, such as the second pilot for All in the Family. Yes, that was an interesting thing. The original pilot was done at CBS, and then ABC did a pilot. And I, I, I don't think we were the third pilot. And what they were doing was looking for the character to play the meathead. Right, because at this point it was already decided that if it goes to series, we're going to have Gene and we're going to have Carol O'Connor. So Archie and Edith were locked in. But each of the first two pilots had different actors playing Meathead and Gloria. Right. And so when I first got information that I was going to be doing the show, they gave me a script and I read it and said, this was probably the funniest script I'd ever read. Mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't believe how beautifully it was written, how very funny it was. And also, I knew it was so controversial it would never get on the air at ABC because our broadcast standards people simply would not tolerate the scenes that were that were in there. But we were doing the, this uh, pilot, and it was seeking uh, the person to place the meathead. But I knew the show, in terms of ABC, was a a dead duck. I just didn't see that it could ever get through broadcast standards. So anyway, I was assigned as associate director, and it was a wonderful experience working with these great actors. And in the middle of it, the woman who was doing the casting, the casting director, came to me and said, Would you like to try out for the meathead? And I, I thought, What? You know? Well, I did have a mustache. I was, you know. But no, yes. Uh, you, you you not only had a mustache. Uh, this was this was nineteen sixty eight, sixty nine. You let your hair grow out. But, you know, I was just a little. You know, I was sort of. You know, it was. I was certainly not following all the rules of dress conduct. Yeah, you you looked like you could pass for a member of the counterculture. That that was it, right? And uh, anyway. I had that offer, and I said, well, I, thank you very much. I said, frankly, this is the funniest script I've ever read. I think it's absolutely incredible. I am, I'm astonished that you would even ask me to do this. I said, but I just can't. I said, it would be, I'd have to throw my, away my career at ABC to do it, and I don't think it'll ever get on the air. So that was the end of that. Now, I don't know whether I would have succeeded in getting that part, if, even if I tried out for it, but it's interesting <laughs> The offer was there. It was. Had, had you ever acted before? Well, sure, in college, you know, I did a lot of acting, and I was. I would say I was a pretty good actor. I had, you know, I was well trained because I I studied in theater and done. I did it a lot of theater, and so I knew long before I ever started doing anything else. I mean, that was my background. I really knew that whole thing well, and uh, as an actor, I think I had quite a bit of practice in. In college, I worked on several one-act plays, doing different things, different parts. I toured, actually, with with, uh, one of the uh, shows. So, yes, I would say I was a pretty good actor. And plus, you had, you know, we talked a little bit last time, music is in your blood. And uh, not only songwriter and 
composition, but you had performed for audiences before. So that was not foreign to you. But uh, again, you had to make a split second decision, more or less. What would be the best move for me to forego my career at ABC to It's interesting that, you know, I don't know how this would, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how, what causes casting directors to make decisions they do, but that was not the only offer I had ever to act on a show. It's interesting, I was on another show that was exactly, it was actually on the air, but they were looking for somebody to play a certain part. It was on a show about a submarine and a bunch of ladies or something. I forget the name of it. And uh, Oh, that be Operation Petticoat? Yes, Operation Petticoat. That was it. And uh, so they were they were auditioning people to play this part that was it was something a new part. And all of a sudden, the director said to me, "Would you like to try out?" Where did that come from? <laughs> and I thought about it. And I thought, no. Well, and well, the amazing thing about that is that I don't think you could do that today. Yeah, I mean, a casting director may say, hey, Ron, you want to think about doing this, but I don't think you could try out unless you get your union card. Well, you could, under the rules of those days, after, I believe you could do one time, you could do it, do a one-time thing without joining the union. But if you were, if you got an assignment, you could, they would let you join. It wasn't, they wouldn't turn you down. You just have to be forced to join the union. That's how it worked out. Yeah, if you got the part. If you got the part, you'd be forced to join. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, if we talked about this last time uh, when we talked about Dick Clark. I mean, Dick Clark was one of those people who's, who seemed to recognize talent when he saw it. And obviously, more than a few casting directors recognized, okay, Ron has a lot of skills in him. Maybe he can also perform on camera. So it's, 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 I guess it's nice to be asked. Well, it sure is nice, you know. I mean, it's it's a real honor, truly, you know, to be recognized in that way. I, I you know, people would trust in me. I, it's astonishing, in fact. But I have to say about Dick Clark. I mean, my goodness, Dick himself was a great actor. He did a lot, a lot of shows. A lot of shows. His credits himself are just astonishing. Yeah, one of his most famous on-screen appearances. He was in the final episode of Perry Mason, the very, very last. I won't give it away, but he uh, he had a very prominent role in the very, very last episode of Perry Mason. But an- another thing uh, about Dick Clark before we button up our conversation today, Ron, is we talked a little bit about how Clark despite all his success and despite the empire he built, he never let that success go to his head. He was still very much an approachable person. And uh, you have a great story about, uh, th- this goes back to the early days of your career at ABC, back when you were doing, um, you, in, the, in the early days you were doing stuff both for the network and for the local ABC affiliate, KABC in Los Angeles, because the facilities they share the same facilities, and um, and uh, you have a great story about Clark in the early days of American Bandstand in production in Los Angeles that says a lot about who Clark was as a character. Well, he he came from Philadelphia with the American Bandstand show is what uh, they decided that the network was going to put this American Bandstand show on the air. Which was a dance show, it was a dance party. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of people were doing dance parties. Mm-hmm. This was very well uh, known in in the East, 
And um, he wasn't the first person to do a dance show that was had been going on for many years before. And in fact, there were shows at ABC already, local shows, with a dance party type thing where just a bunch of kids dancing. You yeah, know. it was a very popular form of programming at the time. Yeah, it wasn't. There was nothing new, but but Dick Clark had this wonderful style about his ability to relate to kids. Mm-hmm. It, it's just is he could sit next to a kid and 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 he was one of them. He would just share who they were in such a special way that they would could talk to him. They felt comfortable around him. And he would surround himself with kids. And it was the same thing the way he ran his staff. He, People who worked for him were kids. They weren't seasoned old people who had a lot of experience. They were quite often people who had no experience at all. But he would put them in jobs, and and they would get a chance to move up. He, was, uh, he employed a lot of people that way. And um, so the very first show he, where he was coming to ABC in Hollywood... He brought with him his producer from Philadelphia, whom he had decided was going to direct the show. So they got there and they, they bought the sets and all that stuff. And we were on a schedule where we had to, we were going to be going live on the air. And things were moving very slowly because the producer wasn't familiar with the way that we did things in Hollywood. And he was not really trained as a director and didn't understand what he should be doing. And it was evident as the day went on, we were we were in deep trouble. And Dick kept complaining about things weren't, weren't working, the microphones weren't working when they were supposed to, and blah, 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 and he was screaming at people. He, he, he was, but he didn't realize that the person that he had put in charge was not doing his job because he didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And so... I told the associate director, Hal Galley, I said, look, Hal, you're just going to have to take over the directing job. This guy doesn't know what to do. I said, somebody's got to do something. Why don't we get on the air? And I said, Hal, just do it. I said, just do it. And so Hal did. And he, he, he did a good job. He was able to, which any associate director should be able to do it. It's not a difficult show. And so Hal did the show, and uh, everything was done. So I told Dick, I said, your director did not direct the show. I said, Hal Galley did. I said, really? If it wasn't for Hal, we wouldn't have gotten on the air. And, and so what, the result of that was that Hal Galley was hired as a director by Dick. And this is the takeaway. Besides the fact that he recognized, I mean, again, it, it, it speaks to the fact that Clark recognized talent. And in the case of Hal, when he learned that Hal actually ended up directing the show, you know, he did what a, what, what a smart business person would do he hired you know for his own company but here's the other thing that i love about this story ron it shows another side of dick clark it shows that he may have been at the top of the totem pole at dick clark productions but that didn't stop him from listening and that didn't stop him from recognizing good advice when he heard it but even if it may have been advice he didn't want to hear yeah, I mean, he did the right thing. I know whatever happened was the best thing that could have happened. It certainly was good for Hal. That wasn't really the end of that story in a sense because there's so much politics involved, so much stuff. That, it's just it's astonishing to me 
I mean, Howard did a really good job. He was a and and for a while there, he he was assigned to do the show, but certain people objected to his. I don't understand why, but certain people objected to his getting the job. I mean, that's just I don't understand it. And they and Hal was taken off the show. I mean, he was on it for a while. But it had nothing to do with his performance. It was that somebody didn't like the fact that, that he had been given the job at Dick Clark without anybody ever making a decision. You know, but it's just one of those crazy, who, you know, well, people in power sometimes go nuts. It, wasn't, it had to do with infrastructure. Back right. then, a lot of the decisions were made in from the, from the, from the you know, corporate office about, in New York. I have to say this about television. I mean, it's not just a big happy, was it? It wasn't just a big happy world. It was there was a lot of power struggling within the various people at the networks, and some of them could be terrifyingly difficult to work with. Yeah, it's when you know, and because they had great power, where they could and, and people with just even minor jobs. I remember there was a woman who was in charge of the, the page staff. Her job was to schedule the pages. Pages are the are the guys who bring the audience in and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And her job was scheduling the pages. But she had control over audiences because of it. And she used that in such a way that she became this enormous powerhouse. And if you didn't do exactly what she wanted... She could decide that your your show is not going to have an audience. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, everybody was terrified of this woman. Yeah, absolute power can corrupt absolutely. It was it was just an awful thing, you know. Yeah. And we were all so glad when she finally got fired. I, I remember how it <laughs> happened, but it was just it it, it was terrible. And and it it, it just it wasn't just at one level. It just it was everywhere. Yeah. She was somehow involved, and and it, it affected everybody, you know. And, and it, you would see this kind of thing. And I, I, I could cite several other examples, but wherever there's big money to be made, I guess, or whatever, wherever there's opportunity for power, there are people that will use it and, and, uh, and abuse it. And that's unfortunate in life. Yes, but for every person who abuses it, there are many more people like Dick Clark who wielded that power the right way. And he was very graceful with it. We'll talk some more about Dick Clark in our second hour when Ray Clausen joins us. Ray Clausen, award-winning art director and set designer. Ray worked with Dick Clark for about 30 years, including 26 American Music Awards show broadcast. Ray Clausen will join us in our second hour. In the meantime, Ron Bacon is on the line with us. Ron Bacon, Emmy Award winning television pioneer, 35 years in network TV production in a variety of capacities. Ron will be back in a few weeks for more of our conversation. We'll talk about some other aspects of Ron's career in television. We will also talk about the very successful stage musical that Ron produced and wrote all the songs for called The Chicken Man, which has a very interesting backstory in and of itself. That's coming up in a few weeks on TV Confidential. In the meantime, you can screen Ron's 30-minute documentary, The Kite Song, for free at ronbacon.net. We'll take a quick time out. Then Eben 
Anthony will join us when we come back on TV Confidential. One more item, if you love Ella Fitzgerald, our friend Jeffrey Mark celebrates the music of the First Lady of Song every week on Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella. You can hear Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk tvconfidential.net talk at tvconfidential.net you can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential x.com forward slash tvconfidential or at tvconfidential on instagram and if you're listening to us on the tv confidential podcast please be sure to hit the subscribe button This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.